Again, welcome this morning. It's good to be with you. If you are not sure who I am, if uh, you like the message and it challenges you, my name is Keith Dre. If uh, you don't like it, doesn't challenge you, my name is Dave Snyder. And, and we'll, we'll, we'll leave it at that. So, um, so I don't want a lot of you calling me Dave after. I guess you could call me that, and then I'd know, I'd know how I did afterwards. Um, no, it is good to be with you and, and to bring in the, the new year. And, and I think, you know, so many times, beginning of a new year, we make New Year's resolutions. Um, we talk about different things. And a lot of us sometimes use the word balance. I want to get balance into my life. And, and I, I want to have that balance. And, and how do I do that? What does that look like? And, and this morning we're going to talk some about that and, and look at Scripture, continue in our series, When the Science Was Broken, finish that off out of Luke chapter 2. But... Uh, when I think of balance, it always brings me back to a story. And um, I have never talked, I don't think ever, when I've preached um, about my in-laws um, in, a, in a message. But I, I am this morning, and they're actually now here this morning. Um, and, but uh, whenever I think of balance, I, I go back to the story. This was before we, Jamie and I had kids. And uh, we, we went on a, a day trip with uh, my in-laws and uh, Jamie's sister. And we ended up in, in Cook's Forest. And uh, we decided to go canoeing. And uh, to be in a canoe, it takes balance, right? And uh, so Jamie and I and, and her sister loaded up in one canoe. We got out on the water. And uh, Jamie's parents loaded up on the other canoe. And they start going out. And there's one rock in this whole wide river sticking up out of the water. Just one. And... Uh, you know, we're down probably about 30, 40 yards watching them. They go out straight for the rock, hit the rock, tip over. And uh, now we're paddling around, getting their flip-flops, getting their oars because they let everything go. And uh, get back to them, help them get back in their canoe. And, uh, and basically all I remember the rest of the trip is, is watching them Yell at each other. I mean, they weren't, but it was, it was, here's, I know they're like embarrassed, but, uh, here's, here's, here's what would happen. Um, my mother-in-law was in the front of the canoe. She'd go, there's a rock, another rock, and start paddling straight for it. As they'd go to get to it, my father-in-law, I guess, thinking so we won't tip again, would stick his leg, one leg outside of the canoe. And then the canoe would flip over. And, and it was that whole thing of, of balance. I can't remember how many times they, they fell in the water, but it, you know, I always think back to the trip, and the other thing I remember was, was uh, my father-in-law was going to leave his wallet in the car. And, and the last words were, no, just take it with you. You're not going to get wet. <laughs> I remember all of the water and everything, be, or his, uh, his money and everything being spread out across the dashboard trying to dry. But, you know, to be in a canoe, you need good balance. Um, something else you need good balance on is this, is a skateboard. Now, before you watch me do a kickflip off of the stage down onto there and kill myself, I'm actually not going to ride this um, because I don't have good balance on this. Um, we got our, um, our, our son ended up getting this for, uh, for Christmas and uh, so he's anxious when the snow melts that, that he can start riding it, our six-year-old son. And um, it, it takes balance to ride a skateboard. 
it also takes a lot of practice at getting your balance. You can't write it once down your driveway and then say, okay, I have good balance, and then pull it out the following year and and write it again. It, It takes practice. You need to constantly stay at it. Yesterday we went sledding. And uh, my six-year-old also has a snowboard. We're trying to introduce him to the hospital at an early age. Um, but uh, we, we go to a, we were just at a small park, small hill, just so he doesn't get too much speed um, by the time he gets to the bottom. And uh, the one time I'm at the top of the hill, and uh, I slid my, my feet into his snowboard, and it went about a foot. And I'm like, nope, I'm not going to try that, and because uh, I didn't want to end up at the hospital. But it takes balance to do things. And, and when it comes to our life, I think so many times we're, we're in the same boat, and we're like, how, how do we get balance? What are the things that we need to do? And, 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 and it's a struggle and this morning we want to look at the, the one picture that Scripture gives us of, of Jesus when he was a 12-year-old boy. Because it goes from his birth to this passage where he's 12, and then you get into chapter 3, and the next time you, you read about him, he's being baptized, and it says he starts his ministry at about the age of 30. So, so we get this small glimpse into him when he was a boy. And we're going to look at that and see what it says about balance and learn a little bit about there. But a a quick reminder, as as Pastor Mark has gone through this series and why it was written, and just reading um, the beginning of Luke, chapter 1, verses 1 through 4, and these verses say, Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. Therefore, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, it seemed good also to me to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. So again, a reminder that, that he was writing to Theophilus and he wanted to just again say, here's the accounts, here's the things that happened in the life of Jesus and us that were surrounding him that we saw. And, and I, I want you to see key elements so that you can be assured of what you were taught, that you can understand it and you can know, okay, this is why this has happened. And I think throughout this series, we have gotten a new glimpse into the Christmas story and pulling out different things and saying, okay, that's why that's there. That's why Luke wrote it this way. Um, so that Theophilus would understand this and that his belief would be cemented into his heart. And it's the same for us. And this morning we're going to look at the end of the story, Luke chapter 2. We're going to be looking at verses 41 through 52 and, and mainly concentrating on verse 52 and, and looking a lot into to that verse. But verses 41 and 42 say this to give us a little bit of background on, on this whole story. It says that every year his parents went to Jerusalem for the feast of the Passover When he was 12 years old, they went up to the feast according to the custom. Now Mary and Joseph, again, this just shows us that they were religious people. And and that each year that they went to the feast of the Passover. Now in their custom, there was three feasts that, that they were required to go to. It was the feast of the Passover, feast of the Pentecost, and feast of the Tabernacles that they were traveling to Jerusalem. But in reality, because of most people's economic situation, that was impossible they couldn't make it to all of those feasts. But the Passover was the largest one, was the main one that everyone got to. So on a yearly basis, 
they went to the feast of the Passover. And Jesus went with them. And probably at this, since he was 12 years old, he had probably gone a couple times already. Um, because he was preparing around the age of 13 is, is when they become what they kind of call sons of the covenant. And, and it's, you know, their sign that they're accepted almost as, as a man, that type of thing. And, and so Jesus was starting to learn the, the customs of what went on at the feast of the Passover to be prepared for that when that happened. In verses 43 through 45, we read this. It says, After the feast was over, while his parents were returning home, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but they were unaware of it. Thinking he was in their company, they traveled on for a day. Then they began looking for him among their relatives and friends. When they did not find him, they went back to Jerusalem to look for him. Now, you know, when I first read that, I'm thinking, how could you lose Jesus? You know, um, but one of the things in their custom, their tradition, they traveled in caravans, they traveled with family, they traveled with friends. Um, and when they traveled, the women and children traveled together and the men traveled together. And with Jesus being 12, he was in that middle age that he could have gone with the men or he could have been with his mom with the children. <laughs> so it's, it's kind of easy to see that Mary was probably thinking, well, he's with Joseph. And Joseph was probably thinking, well, he's probably with Mary, because he could have been either place. You know, but all of a sudden, they realized after traveling for a day, and back then, a, a day's travel probably would have been about 20 miles. Um, traveling a day, he wasn't there. And, and you wonder, you know, the, the panic. Here's the, their 12-year-old son is no longer there. And, you know, my mind goes to, sometimes goes to different places, because I wonder if, you know... They, they know he's the son of God, but, but I don't think they totally understand that as parents. But in my mind, I'm thinking too, are Mary and Joseph staying there going, how are we going to tell God that we lost his son? <laughs> you know, we lost the son of God. We, we saw angels and they were telling us that he's going to be the savior of the world, and now we lost him. What are we going to do? You know, I'm sure that could have been some of their panic, but the, the biggest thing is they were just panicking that their 12-year-old son was not with them, and he's probably back in this large city of Jerusalem with, with a lot of people. And go ahead, and so this is my 12-year-old son, Eli. Just to give you a picture of what a 12-year-old son looks like. Um, thankfully, he got his mother's looks, so, so he's, he's good-looking. Um, but, uh, you know, I know myself, if, if I left Eli somewhere, or for that matter, any of my kids, you know, there'd be a panic. And especially, man, they've, they've traveled a day. And they know that no matter what, they have a whole day at least before they find him again. So that's two days that they know that their 12-year-old boy is not with them. And who knows where he is, who knows what has happened. You can't imagine the panic that, that they are going through as, as they're making that. You know, for us, it's not like they can hop in a car, okay, we're going to go twice as fast and get there quicker. You know, they're walking, you know. And, and they're getting back there. It's going to take them a full day to get back there. So you can't imagine the panic that, that they have in saying, we need to get there. We need to find Jesus. He's not here. Verse 46 and 47 says, After three days they found him in the temple courts, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. Everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. So it took them three days. The first day was their travel away from Jerusalem. The second day was 
their travel back, and then it took them the third day to finally find Jesus in the temple. So three days. So you can't imagine how, I mean, imagine if you lost your child and it took you three days to find them. The panic that would have set in by then. You know? And, and here they find him sitting in the temple with the teachers. Some translations say the doctors of the law and listening to them, asking them questions, giving them answers. They're asking him back. And he's just, hey, all's fine. You know? And, and they're like, not, not everything is fine. The other thing that I want to make you sure you understand about this chapter is a lot of times when we read this, we picture that at 12 years old, Jesus was standing in the temple preaching. And, and he wasn't. Okay? At, at that time in custom, the, the teachers of the law, the doctors of the law would have times where they would just sit around and people could sit on the floor around them and listen to them talk about scripture, could learn from them, ask questions, those types of things. And that's what Jesus was doing. But they were all amazed by his understanding of the scriptures, of, of the questions that he would ask. So he wasn't teaching, but he was listening. In a sense, he was learning. And he was there in the temple courts. And everyone there was just amazed. Verse 48 says this, When his parents saw him, they were astonished. And then his mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. Basically, his parents were astonished too, which sometimes I think, you know, when is it going to sink in to them? They had angels visit them. After he was born, they had shepherds visit them who said, these angels visited us. A while later, they had wise men visit and, and worship him. But yet still, here's another moment where they're astonished. And I think so many times we do the same thing, don't we, in our Christian walk, is that we have this all-powerful, incredible God and yet we don't realize the potential that is there in having a relationship with him. Just like they keep not realizing, okay, this is the Son of God. They're looking at him just from the human side and not from the divine side. And, and, and you know, Mary, Mary basically says, why have you treated us like this? Why did you cause us so much pain? We've been looking for you. You're our son. Why did you do this? Your father and I have been looking for you. And Jesus' answer at 12 years old is very important what he says next. And, and it's not a scold. Sometimes we think he was scolding his mom. But basically in verse 49, he then says, Why were you searching for me? Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? And I find it very interesting that this is his first time at 12 years old where he reveals, you know what, here's my true purpose for being here. It's to do my Father's will. And, and I think it's interesting a, a little bit that he, you know, he reminds them that this is who I am. Because you know, Mary says, your Father and I have been looking for you. And he says, why? I was in my Father's house. Kind of like a reminder that this is who I am. I'm the Son of God. And, and he's showing us his deity, that he truly was the Son of God. And, and he's saying here at 12 years old, this is my purpose. You're, you're going to kind of, you know, not, not necessarily saying you're going to have to get used to this, but, but this, is, this is who I am. I'm God's son. But the interesting thing that Luke, when he wrote this, is immediately after he shows that Jesus said he's God's son, that there's deity to it, 
he then goes right away and says, you know, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. And then he went down to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. But his mother treasured all these things in his heart. He, he immediately shows that he was also human. That he went home, he was obedient to his parents. And, and, and so in that, those few verses there, you see that, you know what, this is God's son. That, that he is fully God, but also on the same hand, he was fully human because he went home with his parents, he obeyed them, and, and lived his life out with them. You know, a key verse in seeing that, that this is the beginning of, of Jesus saying, this is who I am. Now, the last verse that we're going to look at is going to be up on the screen for a while as we talk about it is, is then Luke 2.52, and it says, And Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men. And, and he grew in I'm going to take four areas out of that. And, and that's what we're going to look at in talking about having balance and having four growth areas that, that we can be looking at in this upcoming year. Man, what areas can we be growing in? Where can we be working at? And if you look at this, it says that Jesus grew in, in wisdom where he grew mentally and also in stature or he grew physically. Um, and in favor with God, he grew spiritually. In favor with men, he grew socially. So you have, you have four areas you have, you have mentally, physically, socially, and spiritually. And, and we're going to look a little bit at, at each of those areas. And I firmly believe that they all kind of they intertwine, that they're, they're connected, that one area affects the other. Um, I do believe the spiritual side, you need to have that down first. But also the other ones can affect that. And your spiritual side can affect the others. But it's four areas that if you work on having a balance in, that you can be a complete person and be the type of person that God wants you to be. And we're just going to talk in a few minutes just about the importance of, of each of those. And throughout Scripture, you can see the, you know, you can look at examples of these. And in the Old Testament, you have Samuel that, you know, you, you see him grow and you see him grow spiritually. And you see, you know, one of the verses actually says that he grew in favor with God and men. Um, but also that he never let any of God's words hit the ground. You know, incredible verse that, that he kept, you know, God's word in his heart, that he grew spiritually. And you also have King David, who his story is found in the books of First and Second Samuel and Psalms. And, and you can read throughout that how as he defeated Goliath and he grew into a great warrior, that he grew physically. But also you see that as king, he started to make decisions and he had men around him that he learned from, that he grew mentally as well. The people loved him as king. He grew socially, and, and also, as you look through, especially in Psalm, that he grew spiritually. In fact, it gets to the point in Psalms where it says that, that he was a man after God's own heart. And you see different examples of that. In the New Testament, you can see it in the early church. Acts 2.42 says that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. You know, the teaching, the mental side, wisdom, gaining wisdom, to fellowship, the social side, to the breaking of bread, eating meals together, the physical side, and to prayer, the spiritual side. You can see this throughout Scripture, that, that these four areas can have a balance and can help you become that complete person. Just looking at wisdom a little bit, Proverbs 4, 6, and 7 says this, Do not forsake wisdom, and she will protect you. 
Love her, and she will watch over you. Wisdom is supreme, therefore get wisdom. Though it costs all you have, get understanding. So it's important that we have that side, that, that we're gaining wisdom, that we're stretching ourselves. As we saw in the story, Jesus at 12 years old was sitting at the feet of teachers of the law, of doctors, and hearing what they had to say about Scripture. It's, it's the same for us. We need to find people, no matter how young you are, no matter how old you are, that you can learn from, that you can gain insight from. You need to still be stretching your mind. I don't think we can ever get to the point where we say, I know it all. But also we need to be careful that sometimes we take that to an extreme. And we do say we know it all, and we concentrate everything on that. And socially, we don't influence anybody. Because we just say we know it all, but we don't use the knowledge right. A great quote from a man named Charles Spurgeon says this. It says, wisdom is the right use of knowledge. To know is not to be wise. Many men know a great deal and and are all the greater fools for it. There is no fool so great a fool as a knowing fool. But to know how to use knowledge is to have wisdom. Just a, a great quote that you can learn, you can study, but if you don't know how to use it, if you don't have a balance and using it in these other areas, then it's going to mean nothing. Physically, we're to grow physically. You know, what does that mean? Many people take a verse out of 1 Corinthians chapter 6, and it says, Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. And, and they'll take that and say, your body is a temple. You need to take care of it physically. Um, although I agree with that, that verse is really talking about not having sin in your body. That you need to make sure that you're using your body as a pure temple for God and to not allow sin into it. I used to use that verse. I remember one time a few years ago, someone commented to me uh, about me gaining weight. And I just said, well, you know the verse where it says your body is the temple of God? And they said, yeah. And I said, well, I'm just making more room for him. And they're like, okay. All right. So, but, you know, in, in effect... You know, our, our body is a temple of God. And, and, and the physical side of it is we need to honor God with our body. And if you want to use that verse, then you need to look at it in the whole context, and it means you can't allow, allow sin and use your body for sin. That if your body is free from sin, and I don't want to get into the whole debate of, you know, that's what you eat and all that kind of stuff, but what I really want to say is, is you read through Scripture, if your body is free from sin, you're healthy. And, and, and that's what it's looking at. And, and that's how we grow physically, is making sure that our bodies are, are free from sin and, and that we have a healthy body. And, and that's what we're looking at there. Socially, you know, it said Jesus grew, grew in favor with God and man, that he grew socially, that people came to love him. And, and, and you know, you also th- see through Scripture how it was usually the religious people, though, that didn't like him. Um, and really it was because he was turning everything upside down, is that he was going to the people who in that society felt worthless and saying, you know what, you're not worthless. You're the most important people and God loves you and cares for you. And, and so he was turning everything upside down and, and he was showing compassion and gentleness and humility and patience with people that had never seen that before. And so people were flocking to him. 
Because all of a sudden here is someone that that is having an incredible influence and is saying things that they have never heard before and showing them love and compassion that they have never seen before. And they were drawn to him. And, and that's how he grew socially. And you read in Colossians 3, verses 12 through 14, they say this. It says, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. You know, in Colossians chapter 3, right there, it talks about, here's some characteristics that we need to have. Compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience. And and then wrap those all up in love, because that's going to bind everything together. And, And that's one of the ways that you can grow socially. Because if you're showing kindness, if you're showing patience, if you're showing compassion to people and showing love, then are you going to grow in their favor? Yes. Because they're going to want to be around you. They're going to want to to have that love from you. And they, in turn, are going to show that to other people. Maybe that's an area where you need challenged in. Maybe that's a tough one for you. Um, to socially be that type of person, to show compassion, to show love. But that's an area that Jesus grew in. And then finally, spiritually. It says that he grew in favor with, with God, that God was well pleased with them. And, and we may say, well, yeah, well, that was easy. He was God's son. But he still did things. He still got up early in the morning while it was dark and prayed, even though he had a late night the, the, the night before healing people. He still spent that time with his father because he knew it was important. When Jesus was asked what the greatest commandment was in Matthew 22, he said this, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. Basically, he was saying, love God with all that you are. If you want to grow spiritually, You need to love God with all that you are. And so many times you say, well, you know, that's difficult because I'm going through through hard things. There's hardships in my life. God just doesn't understand. I can't love him with everything because right now I just lost my job. Or my best friend is is dealing with a sickness. Or and and you name a bunch of things and you say, I can't I can't love him with everything because there's all these hardships in my life. And I want to challenge you this morning that you know hardship is not a handicap to living a life pleasing to God. It can't be. It can't be. But we use it so many times as an excuse. We say, woe is me. I can't live fully my life for God. I I can't do this because of these situations in my life. Where God is saying the opposite. Saying, you still need to love me with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind. Love me with everything that you are. Nowhere in scripture does it say, I think sometimes we think, well, if we do that, things are going to be perfect. And then it's not perfect. And so then we give up. Nowhere in scripture does it say it's going to be perfect. But it says this is what you need to do if you want to please God. Is love him with all of your heart. And why should we do that? Well, we should do that because 
of one simple thing. He loved us enough to send his son to this earth to die for us. To pay that penalty for our sins, that if we believe that, if we trust in him, then we can have eternal life. He did that for us. So some of the things that we go through really shouldn't be that big of a deal. The hardships that we go through, we need to take them on and just say, you know what, I'm going to love God with all that I am and get myself through this with his help. In James chapter 1, it goes as far to say, consider it pure joy if you endure trials and tribulations. You know, it says to be happy. I find that kind of hard. But that's what it says to do, consider it joy. Because that's going to produce perseverance and that's going to help you in your life, in your walk with Jesus Christ. So the spiritual side, living out your life totally for God is one of the growth theories. And I would say that's the key one where you need to start. If you don't have that relationship with Jesus Christ, start it today. Or if that's an area where you're struggling, where you know you don't love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, or mind, then that's one of the challenges I give to you to work on this new year. That growth area that you need to work on. Maybe it's one of those three others the, in the mental side or, or socially or physically. You know, and, and maybe there's different areas. As you go through this new year, take this verse. It's an easy one to memorize, Luke 2.52. And say, okay, how am I doing in those four areas? Am I growing? And am I pushing myself? Because I want to be that complete person that God wants me to be. And and here's a great example of of how we can do that from when Jesus was a 12-year-old boy. I want to close in in reading a scripture to you um, that really sums up these these four areas. I apologize, I don't have it on on the screen. Um, But it's Proverbs chapter 3, verses 1 through 8. And... uh, so you can, you can write that down or, or look it up. But Proverbs chapter 3, 1 through 8 um, really just hits on, on these four areas. And this is what it says. It says, My child, never forget the things I have taught you. Store my commands in your heart. If you do this, you will live many years and your life will be satisfying. Never let loyalty and kindness leave you. Tie them around your neck as a reminder. Write them deep within your heart. Then you will find favor with both God and people, and you will earn a good reputation. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. Seek his will in all you do, and he will show you which path to take. And don't be impressed with your own wisdom. Instead, fear the Lord and turn away from evil. Then you will have healing for your body and strength for your bones. Within that, you see those four areas growing mentally with wisdom, growing physically, growing socially, and growing spiritually. And I encourage you this new year, I challenge you in those four areas to look at yourself and say, what areas, if all four, I know when I was preparing this, I'm like, man, I need to work on all four areas. And, and I'm not just saying that, I do. As I look at my life, these are areas I need to work at. And it's a simple reminder, and it will help you, you know, well, how can I have balance? Things aren't going to be perfect, but if you're looking in ways to start doing that, look at those four areas. 
and start saying, am I growing in these areas? Is there one, is there two, is there three, or is there four that I need to be working at? And make that one of your New Year's challenges this year to do that and grow in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and men.